Alicia Malone. This is Magnificent Obsession, episode number 22, and this is the show where I talk to various people in the film industry about their work. Now, I just got back from the Toronto International Film Festival, which was so much fun, and I am absolutely exhausted, but one of the movies that was causing a lot of buzz was Hustlers, which is actually out this weekend in cinemas. It stars Jennifer Lopez, Constance Wu, Lily Reinhardt, Julia Stiles, Cardi B, Lizzo, Kiki Palmer, and a cameo by Usher, an incredible cast, and it's written and directed by Lorene Scafaria. It's based on an article written by Jessica Pressler, which tells the true story of a group of exotic dancers working at a strip club in New York, and when the financial crisis hit, they decided they needed to find another way to get money, so they end up scamming a lot of Wall Street guys. But even though they're doing the wrong thing, you're still cheering them on because they are scamming the scammers who ended up scamming the entire country. It has a fantastic performance by Jennifer Lopez. I think this is the best I've ever seen her in a movie. And she is also a producer on the film alongside her longtime producing partner, Elaine Goldsmith-Thomas. And Elaine is my guest on today's show. She's been an agent in her past. She represented some of the most high-profile stars, including Jennifer Lopez, and then eventually went to work with Jennifer Lopez's company, producing their various TV shows and movies. And now with Hustlers, they could be on the road to some Oscar nominations. I was lucky enough to visit Elaine at her office on a studio lot where we were surrounded by pictures from old Hollywood and appropriately in Elaine's office is a picture from The Women directed by George Cukor, which has the uh, the notoriety for being a movie that is completely filled with women. Even the animals in the film were apparently female. So that felt appropriate considering Hustlers is such a female-driven movie. So we talked all about that, about how hard it was to get the project made because of that fact. And also she gives some amazing advice for anyone who is in a creative industry or is chasing their dreams and feeling like they're not getting anywhere. This is Elaine Goldsmith-Thomas. Well, Elaine, thank you so much for talking to me. Sure. Where are you from? From Australia. Oh, beautiful. But I've lived here now for eight years, almost right. nine years. Right, right. And I was also at the Toronto International Film Festival. And oh. uh, you just got back from there. And Hustlers got such a great reception. Yes. What was that whole experience like? You know, I was an agent many years ago. And in a different life, I was an agent. And I remember years and years ago going to the Cannes Film Festival with Tim Robbins who had two movies there. He had The Player and he had Bob Roberts. And he went there as just this guy and he and it exploded there and it felt similar. You know, we knew we had a good film with a signature um, by Lorene that I think is so unique and sexy and empowering and complicated. And we knew we had performances that were off the charts from Jennifer, from Constance. Lily Reinhardt is great. Mm. Um, But you get so beaten down by this business sometimes and so afraid of 
the passive comments that people make on social media behind the shroud of anonymity, that you try to gird yourself. And sometimes I'm surprised by the love and support and enthusiasm and deeply overwhelmed and grateful for the response and the accolades and the empowerment. You know, this is a movie almost 100% made by women um, about a group of women who were degraded, demoralized, um, who tried to get their own back and the the slippery slope of doing that. It's complicated, but setting it up was complicated. And when I look at it and I see female producers, female director, female writer, female production designer, Jane Muskie, who's amazing, female editor, Kayla, I mean, female UPM, female line producers, female second ADs. Women get shit done. (laughs) And and against all odds in in an industry that's rather afraid because we're in transition and a town that's rather... Hmm. Judgmental. Mm-hmm. We were able to break through and break through the way Lorene wanted, thanks to one man, actually. And that was um, Adam Fogelson at uh, STX. He, uh, where all the other boys in town said, no one will want to see a movie about strippers who, who, who drug men. He said... Um, I mean, I remember when people said that to me, I said, you wouldn't say that to Leonardo DiCaprio on Wolf of Wall Street. You wouldn't go, well, nobody wants to see a Wall Street guy scam good people. Well, they did. This is sort of Goodfellas, or as as one of the reviews said, Scorsese and Stilettos, which I love. (laughs) I love that too. It's also based on an article written by a woman as well. So did you see the cinematic potentials of the story as soon as you read that? When I read Lorene's, I didn't read the article first. I read the script first. Jessica Elbaum, my producing partner on this, um, optioned the article. I read the script and I knew Jennifer had to do it. I knew I had to produce it. I knew it. It was compelling. It was complicated. I, 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 I said to Jennifer, the reason I think Jennifer's so good, and I can say this because she's not sitting in front of me, but she gives such a layered performance, boy. It's almost like she's a siren, you know, a mythological siren, sort of seducing the people in the club and the home audience and, and getting them into her lair. She does it in the most manipulative, sensual way. And then she gets everybody onto her page. And if her page is, yeah, we'll scam them. If we don't do it, somebody else will. She's convincing. She's persuasive. She's a bit Machiavellian. And she's also loving. So when you have a character that has so many sides to her, and so beautifully calibrated like that, I thought Jennifer can knock this out of the park. And she did. And she did, yeah. I mean, she's incredible. Yeah. I know she worked so hard. She did. Role. She trained really, really hard. Well, she not, she not only trained, she, she, went, she went into strip clubs. She talked to strippers. She really 
I think as a human, she's not judgmental. So she chose not to judge Ramona for being the mastermind, for um, wanting more. I think she understood the humanity in the glutton. She understood the humanity in what happens to somebody who has this insatiable need for more. And so because of that, while you understand that what she's doing is wrong, you're rooting for her too. Mm -hmm. Much like those gangster movies where you kind of want them to win. (laughs) You kind of want them to get away with it. I mean, God, come on. Men have been getting away with it for years, right? (laughs) Yeah. Could you tell that it was something special that she was delivering when you were on set with her? There was one day, I wish Jessica was here with me right now because there was one day I was, we were at the strip club, we were working all night and it was about a quarter, it was about three in the morning, I got up to give a speech to all of the um, uh, extras. There was like 200 extras there, all in period garb. And look, they were going to be seeing Cardi and Lizzo. That was the day Usher was there. It was like everybody was there, right? And so, um, you know, I said, look, you're going to see some really famous people in not a lot of clothes. And now you've been hired to do this movie. You're a part of our family. You're going to want to take pictures. I'm not going to let you. If if we see cameras, we're going to ask you to leave, and you're going to kick yourself for missing the best job of your life. So instead of wanting to tell your friends about this, how about be in the moment? Be a guy, and it's 2007, and the money is still flowing, and the women are hot, and you're having the best time, and you can't see what tomorrow is. And I gave some impassioned speech. I don't even know where it came from because I was so tired, probably the uh, Krispy Kremes I was eating. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I said, just be there with us. And, you know, no cell phones, all that. And, you know, and I was worried because Jennifer was going to come out and do that dance first of all. And, you know, she's wearing dental floss, essentially. So I wanted to protect her and protect all of them. And I went upstairs in the strip club where our video village was, and I'm sitting there with Jessica Albaum and Alex Brown, this other producer we work with, and Benny Medina. And we're sitting there, and suddenly, and Panther, it was mainly women, and suddenly they put Usher's music on. And we were transformed, transported. I, I have never experienced this before, but all the women on stage were dancing, and he's throwing the money, making it rain, and every extra was in it. They were there. It was the best time, and they were all a part of it. And I, I sat there with my mouth open, and so did Jessica, because I felt like, wow, this really is working and it was so fun and everybody was having fun and it was almost a recreation of a moment in time that you felt like you time traveled Mm -hmm. and it was crazy I think we did two or three takes of that and then Jennifer's dance and they were there they was the best extras because they were there they understood their role they were present and supportive and love and nobody breached a confidence and it was amazing it really was Mm. i i just never um experienced anything like that so i was talking to lorraine scafaria the writer director at tiff and i love that she said it's it kind of it fails the opposite of the bechdel test because the men in the film don't really have 
much to say or they're not really a super important part of the story and also having all the women behind the scenes too how did that change the energy on set it was empowering it was fantastic I mean look I I I don't have gender bias. I love working with men. And like I said, that there was, if it wasn't for Adam Fogelson, this, we wouldn't be talking about this movie. I'll tell you that because everyone passed because they were afraid. They, they could recognize the pedigree. They, They could recognize. And I mean, even the streamers, they could recognize the pedigree. They could recognize the writing. They could recognize the star power, but they could not reconcile the idea that women were taking advantage of men. Who would want to see that? And now I want to say, mm, watch. watch. Yeah. You know, just because there were women there doesn't mean we make movies just for women. We made movies for everyone. And there were strong, it takes strong men to support strong women. And, um, and we had that. And I appreciate that. Um, but it was, it was fantastic. It's long overdue. And it's sad. It's actually sad that we're sitting here in 2000, almost 2020, can you believe it? Mm. Talking still about gender equality. Wow. Wow. I mean, that it's even a question. It, 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 it's bizarre. Somebody, I did an interview recently and they said, I heard when you were an agent, you were one of the top female agents. And I said, yeah, that's what they say. And then it occurred to me, I said, I wonder why they break it down in gender. Mm. I mean, it's not like I have to like, you know, prove how strong I am. Right. I was a top agent who mm-hmm. happened to be a woman. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's bizarre that we're still talking about it. And that probably gives me more pause than the fact that we had so many women on it. I, I love the Madeleine Albright quote that there's a dark place in hell for women who don't support women. And I think there's a bright place in heaven and certainly in my heart for women who do. So on our next film, we have a beautiful, brilliant director named Kat Koiro directing Marry Me that will star Jennifer, and we have female producers on that too. Jennifer is producing it with me and Alex Brown again and Pam Thur again, and, you know, we're trying to people it with great people. I mean, again, I, I, I don't like not going to uh, someone because they happen to be a man, but I, I, I do think that we have to give women a fair shot. And often, like you said, it's the men at the top that have that have uh, that, that insane b- and the insane bias. Like, who would want to see that? Yeah, you know. And 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 as it turns out, you know, you never know until you know. And then, what do they say? Haters hate, and then they copy. Yeah. And you and Jennifer seem like you're great supports for each other. Oh my goodness. I was her agent back in the uh, out of sight uh, cell uh, wedding planner days. <laughs> and then I became a producer and um, we did Made in Manhattan together. Then I went and did other stuff. And then she asked me about uh, almost eight years ago now if I would come work with her. And we sort of, you know, I think every 10 years you reinvent. You go, what do I want to do? I've got one life. I might, what, you know, I don't want to wake up and go, oh, darn. Mm-hmm. I haven't uh, done something. And just because I decided to do something when I'm 20 doesn't mean that when I'm 50, I want to do the same thing. So around eight years ago, she said, I really want to do more films. So we started to sort of piece together a new plan. 
small. We did a Blumhouse thing for five million dollars. Then we did World of Dance. No, then we did Shades of Blue. Then she was doing Vegas. Then we did World of Dance. Then I had this idea for a movie about a woman who reinvents herself. About a woman who feels like life has chosen for her until she realizes that the only thing stopping her is her. Is that second act? That second act. So I wrote that and. Uh, and I'd written a lot in my life, but I never stood behind it. I never took the credit. I was probably too afraid mm. to be judged or, um, or, or, or a pigeonholed. And, but probably more afraid to be judged, if I'm really being brutally honest. And, and so I just did what I call the Zamboni, you know, the guy in the ice who polishes it. <laughs> That was always the, the I, I always went, how about this? And, and went uncredited and was fine with that. But Jennifer really wanted me to take a credit on it. And I did. So we did second act, which led to um, our relationship with STX, which led to Hustlers and, um, and Marry Me, which was going to be at STX, but uh, uh, they weren't able to make it right away. And we needed to make it. It's, that's a fun one. Do you know about that? No, tell me about that. Or what you can. I'll, I, yeah, I'll tell you what I can. Let's see if they get this phone. Um, it's Jennifer plays. It's sort of Notting Hill meets um, Stars Born, maybe. Um, Jennifer plays this pop star, one of the biggest pop stars in the world, who's going to marry her much younger fiance on stage after they um, sing their new hit called "Marry Me" at you know the Hammerstein Ballroom, and they're going to they're going to stream it live across, across multiple platforms. And she finds out via TMZ that he has cheated with her assistant. So she has this meltdown on stage, basically, you know, proclaiming that love is a lie. It's all bullshit. It's all, you know, if the person you know does this to you, then perhaps, you know, what does any of it mean? And are these ideas old-fashioned? It's like a two-page monologue where she literally, it's a head-shaving meltdown moment where mm-hmm. she has this complete nervous breakdown on stage. Meanwhile, in the audience, Sarah Silverman is there because she worships Jen's character, whose name is Kat Valdez. And uh, she hands the sign to her best friend who has gone with her, who is Owen Wilson. He's a math teacher. And the sign says, marry me. So of course, at that moment, she looks in the audience and she says, "And maybe, maybe, maybe love is just about a leap off of a cliff, without a net." And you just look and you go, "Sure, why the hell not?" And so she says to Owen Wilson, "Come!" And before he knows what's happening, they sort of push him up on stage, and he is getting married to this pop star, which of course isn't legal until her manager, who's played by John Bradley, who was Samuel Tarley in Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, talks her into the skid of her life, basically saying you don't want to be the punchline to every joke out there. So why don't you say that love hasn't worked? And maybe this can. And if it doesn't, it was an experiment. So it's about these two people from two very different worlds, very Prince and the Pauper kind of, or Roman Holiday. Holiday, Yeah, um, two different worlds who get to know each other. And 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 um, and love a romantic. It's a it's a romantic. Comedy, dramedy about um, marriage and um, celebrity and social media. Mm. 
And see, those are films that are often derided for being... Oh, my God. The way we marginalize romantic comedies, it's like, guys... Guilty pleasure. Yeah, I love them. I love them. I love the Sex and the City movie. Forget it. it. The series was phenomenal. The movie I worshipped. You know, I see those on or Knocked Up or any of those. They're fun and funny and great. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, so that's we're doing that next, and we ended up doing. We're going to do it here at Universal. And I liked when I was at TIFF. I was there on the red carpet yeah. of Hustlers hosting live for TIFF, and I saw you arrive, and all of the fans were like, "Elaine, <laughs> Elaine, crazy! Is that surreal?" It, it, it makes my husband nuts because, well, because I do these lives, you know, on my social media, and so. It's funny. Um, what's funny is, you know, I'm used to people in the industry knowing me, but certainly not people outside of the industry. And um, I have no brain cells left. So I, 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 the other day I was down near my apartment in New York and somebody came up to me and went, Elaine. I went, hey. I thought it was one of my neighbors or something. <laughs> yeah, how are you? I can't wait to see Hustlers. Yeah, it's great. They said, you know, I would really love a job interning with you. And I've been waiting here, you know, to see if you would come downstairs. And I realized it wasn't. Someone you yeah. knew. Yeah. And it was an odd sensation, you know, where I, ooh. yeah, it's odd. Social media creates a false um, closeness, a false reality, and um, um, an accessibility. Um, and I, I use it as a tool to market my projects or my ideas or whatever, a bully pulpit, if you will, to say, you know, we're all struggling. But you realize that some people um, rely on it huh. yeah. uh, too much. It's, it's, it's a fine line. It it's is. a fine line. But I don't know if you should turn a blind eye to it just because you don't support it. You know, it's kind of like this is where we are. Mm-hmm. So... I'm not sure, but it does support a narcissism that makes me ill, and we address that in Marry Me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Everyone's sort of the star of their own... Well, everybody is a star or movie stars going, look how happy I am, or look how beautiful we are, or here, look at me working out. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I have a real um, dilemma about it, and, you know... Just the idea of YouTube. I remember when YouTube came up fruition, I went, what does that mean? Well, it's YouTube. You are your own filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are. So hmm, how do I feel? I don't know. Yeah, and you must have seen the landscape change so much over your years as an agent and now oh a Oh my producer. gosh, of course. When I was um, an agent, I represented some of the biggest stars in the world, Julia Roberts and... Um, uh, Susan Sarandon and Tim Robbins and um, and Jennifer Lopez and Madonna and uh, you know Jennifer Connelly a lot of people and mainly it was the air of mystery that many of them have not many of those people even now really lean into social media other than Jennifer she does mm-hmm. she does and it's both defined her fame and probably led to misunderstandings too. I think she's very brave to do Marry Me because it's not exactly a, um, it doesn't 
paint the best light of social media. Mm. Yeah, and she has a YouTube channel, and she always seems to be someone who is ahead of the curve, ahead of the trends. Or she was. She's right been away. She's it. been way ahead of the trends. She, you know, she did Idol. Everybody thought, well, her career's over. Or she branded early, and they thought, well, she's a sellout. Uh, but again, haters hate, and then they copy. Now they're all doing uh, different. Uh, uh, doing branding. Uh, branding, yeah. Yeah. So when you were an agent and then making the switch to working with Jennifer more full time, was that a difficult decision for you, or did you just feel like it was right? Well, I, I was an agent, and then I made the switch to Run Revolution Studios um, in the East Coast, and I was excited to do it. Um, I, I wasn't working with Jennifer full time. I was actually working with Julia. Um, up through Aaron Brockovich, and then I went to. I wanted to write more, and I wanted to be part of the creative. So I, Joe Roth asked me to come on board and be sort of the, I don't know, the female channel, if you will, of Revolution Studios. So I did those movies. I would supervise the, you know, Thirteen Going on Thirty, mm-hmm. Mona Lisa Smile, Made in Manhattan, Perfect Stranger, the women's. Sounds crazy, women's movies, but I'm proud of them. Then they made a lot of money, yeah. and they did very, very well. And um, Little Black Book with Brittany Murphy, rest her soul. And then um, when Revolution ended, I became an independent producer and did my own thing. Until then, I reconnected with Jen. That's mm. how it went. Okay, and then what do you what do you like about producing? Is there a part of the process you enjoy the most? I love working on script. I love the community that you form. I love teams. So I love having partners, um, everybody rowing together because it's so hard. It's Sisyphusian producing. You put a boulder on your back and you walk up this hill and sometimes you just need somebody to share the weight. And I love having producing partners that can help me, that, that together we can do it. I have to retrain myself not to think that success is going to be measured. I know everybody's saying it's going to open big this weekend, but I feel like it's successful because of the way it's been received and I need to keep that going, you know. Yeah, that must be difficult. It's hard because the 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 metric system that everybody uses is well, you know, the movie costs 20 million. If it opens to 20, that would be amazing. But if it opened to 18, would it be less amazing? No. No. No, it's still really successful. Yeah. So what would be your advice if anyone's listening and they want to get into producing or the more creative side of filmmaking? Well, something my mentor, Sue Mangers, rest in peace, mm. said to me many years ago was my career wasn't planned, it just happened. And I think that the beauty of life is the pivot. You have to be able to pivot. You get disappointed by people or you disappoint people. You make great decisions or really poor, stupid ones. And you can't wallow on either. You have to forgive others. You have to forgive yourself. You have to be better every day. The truth is everyone falls. Um, It's what you do after you stand that defines you. And so I would say that if you want to be a producer, do it. There is no one road to it. Just put one foot in front of the other. Learn. Um, be thorough. Um, be honorable. Um, your character is your is your calling card. And um, you know, if you could get into an agency, um, that that would be the 
first place I would start because they have an overview of, you know, even at working as an assistant at an agency, it, it provides you an overview that is, um, that is uh, I think, invaluable. But there's no one way. If you have an idea, write it. Mm. If you have either, nothing should be stopping you, especially in the world of YouTube, right? Everybody's got a camera. There's not any one way. Jesus, if this was 1945, there might be. You'd have to know a friend who knew a guy who knew a guy. But now, do it. And don't give up. Don't give up. Put the boulder on your back. Find other people to help you share it. And when it falls, because it will. Take a deep breath, pick it up. And remember that even though everyone's smiling on Instagram, they've all got their issues, they've all got their fears, and uh, don't judge them. Just uh, don't waste your time. Focus on you. Hmm, I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Really Congratulations. Nice you. Thank you. Go see Hustlers. Go, Go see, see Hustlers. hustlers. <laughs> okay, thanks. Thank you so much to Elaine Goldsmith-Thomas. She spoke to me when she had just gotten off her flight. She went straight from her flight to her office to talk to me. She was also moving house the same weekend and has the movie coming out this weekend. So I appreciate her giving me her time and what great advice and stories she had to tell. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I did when I was sitting in the room opposite Elaine. And don't forget that Hustlers is out this weekend here in America. I highly recommend going to see it. It is a lot of fun and you will be very impressed with Jennifer Lopez, trust me. Also, thank you to everyone who's been subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. I really appreciate it. It is truly a one-woman show. And, you know, I promised myself that I would get to my personal goal of 25 episodes for my first season of Magnificent Obsession. So I'm almost there. I've got three more episodes to go, and I've got my feelers out with, you know, a costume designer and a production designer and a stunt woman. So hopefully one of those or all of those end up happening and I'll have an episode for you very, very soon. Thanks for listening.